Good morning. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm a pastoral resident here, future church planner uh, here in the valley. I know that usually um, prompts some questions. Um, if you have any questions about in regards to what that looks like, you can always ask us. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited to be uh, speaking with you today. I, I want to say something before. Um, normally, if this is your first time, normally I'm not the guy up here. Um, a guy, Frank, who did announcements, Pastor Frank, he will be the guy up here. And I want to say something about him because I, I don't think... Uh, um, this is probably recognized. Um, man, this guy, every single Sunday, gets up here, and um, I've been in ministry for 10 years, and, and not only does nobody um, that I've ever met prepare like Frank Switzer does, um, but he is unbelievably detail-oriented, absolute, in making sure that he gets the text right. And, and here's, here's why I bring this up. His motivation behind that is because he cares for your souls. Like, he wants you to be not just good people. He, he wants you to, to not just be good Christians, but he wants you to deeply love Jesus Christ. Um, and if you get a chance, and don't just write an email, don't just give him a call. Um, he'll be walking around today. Um, he's our pastor. He's going to stand before God one day, um, being held to a higher standard, a stricter judgment, James 1, uh, 3, 1. And he's going to stand before God and, and um, give an account for so many of our souls. And that's a huge burden. And, and I, I would pray and I would ask you to encourage him along that path. Um, so I just wanted to say that. Um, obviously, you know, right now we're not a big hand-clapping church, so we'll just leave the, uh, go up to Frank and say thank you um, sometime between the services. Um, if you can, you can open your, uh, your Bible up to Colossians chapter 3. Um, it's actually chapter 2. I know that's not Romans. Um, it doesn't take no Frank Switzer to know that. Um, um, I... Uh, I want to do something before we go out. What we're going to go out, this thing's not, probably not going to move, so I'm just going to leave it as it is. Um, I'm going to set a premise for us uh, today. I'm going to read through this. I'll spend some time recapping in a second, but I'm, I'm going to go through some stuff for us, and then we will we'll get where we're going. I don't have a lot of time, and there's a lot of material to cover, and so um, let's go right at it. Here is uh, Colossians chapter 2, picking up in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the element, uh, elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The Apostle Paul here is talking to a church, and here's what he's going to start, and I need you to track with me because we're going to lay a lot of groundwork before we get to the book of Romans. And here's, here's the first thing he's going to say. Why, if you've been saved by grace, are you trying to, do you not remember that ultimately it was not by what you did? Like in this moment, I need you to remember it's not self-denial. It's not doing things that saved you. These are, as he says, I'm going to read this again, verse um, uh, 22, according to human precepts and teaching, verse 23, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and asceticism. There's, asceticism is extreme versions of self-denial. It never started there. And so Paul's declaration, as he, he did even the first couple sections before this, has said, it started with grace. It began with grace. It was not what you did. It started with grace. So move the list away from you. There's not a checklist of things to get done. Done. Here. 
get rid of the list. It's all grace. And then he says this, chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Listen to this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So it's not what you did. The only way to get to the Father, John 14, 6, is through Jesus Christ. The only way to appear in glory before the Father is in Jesus Christ. It's not by what you did. It's by Jesus Christ alone. Next section. Put to death Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. (laughs) Okay, so stop, put the list away. Stop doing things. Trust wholeheartedly in the cross, in the blood of Jesus Christ, because that's the only thing that's saving you, bro. It's not your church attendance. That's not getting you into heaven. So it is only the cross, this is Romans 5, 1, we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, I've, I've uh, received salvation through grace and faith alone, this is not something that I have done, this is not something that I have done, matter of fact, just to, to really harp, harp on this point, Matthew 7 is going to say that there's going to be people who are going to be standing before Jesus Christ one day and saying, but Jesus, I did this, like I cast out demons, no, go. But, but Jesus, I prophesied. I mean, I prophesied. I don't know who you are. Go. But Jesus, I had perfect attendance. I didn't watch rated R movies. I didn't listen to secular music. I don't know you. Go. But go. It's not what you did. It's only through knowing Jesus Christ. Get rid of the list. Throw away the list. Okay, Jesus, I trust you for my salvation. Okay, here's your list. (laughs) What? So in this moment, we're told, stop. You're not getting salvation through these things. Trust in Jesus Christ alone. And once you trust in Jesus Christ, he's like, okay, you, you trust me. Here's what I want you to do. Stop doing. Trust me. Okay, here's what you do. Get rid of the list. Trust me. Here's your list. This is, this, is, this is exactly what we want to do this morning. We, we want to harp on this idea first that we're saved by grace because the text is going to take us to these two paradigms. We're saved by grace. We need to trust in Christ alone. And then, and then hear me because this is important. Grace is necessary. Getting into heaven, grace is necessary. But you need to know this. Once you know Jesus Christ, works are inevitable. Matter of fact, the only way you know you have grace is if you have works. In 17, the 1700s, July 8, 1741, a man named Jonathan Edwards stands on um, a stage and stands on a pulpit um, in Enfield, Connecticut, and he begins to present um, a message. And it's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he begins to teach this, uh, this message, goes through the sermon, and he's not a um, flamboyant. He doesn't do a lot of yelling and this to get his point across. Um, he's going to stand behind a pulpit and he's going to read verbatim what he has, has wrote. 
Um, and he reads through this, and, and let me give you an account of what, he, what, what he's talking about in this moment, because he's talking about sin, hear me, to church folk. He's talking about taking sin seriously to a church crowd. This is reported what, what had happened. So the people of Enfield yelled and shrieked. They rolled in the aisles. They crowded up to the pulpit and begged him to stop forcing Edwards at one point to speak to the people and desire silence that he might be heard. There was great moaning and crying throughout the whole house. The shrieks and piercing cries were amazing. And yet the congregation knew its desire for a dead conscience. He said in the middle of all these things, these are some of the things that Edwards said, just just a quick line. The bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow made ready on the string. And justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow. And it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God. That of an angry God without any promise of obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. Edward stands in front of this church crowd and he said, listen to me, you're only saved by Jesus Christ. But if you know Jesus Christ, something is bound to happen. You will stop, you will start, there will be disciplines added, there will be fruit. It's inevitable. Grace is necessary, but hear me, works are inevitable. And this is the paradigm that, that we're going to work in this morning. The, the goal this morning is, is to go at both um, license and, and, and licentiousness to, to go at both extremes and say, listen, you're missing it. To the man who thinks because um, he's, he's never kissed a girl before that, that he's saved, to, to the man who in this moment thinks that uh, um, ultimately he's okay and he can have Jesus be his, his uh, savior and not Lord. Both extremes I, I hope to obliterate this morning. That, that's the goal. Uh, Corbin, when he was born, our, our oldest son, Candace and I's oldest son. He's five now. We decided when he was first born, uh, we weren't going to cut his hair. Okay, so like we're going Nazarite Samson on this beast. So he's like, he's like three. He turns four years old. Just after he turns four years old, he's got this long hair rolling in, running around, kind of looking girly, but I kind of like it because at the time I had dreads and long hair. And, um, and so we just decide for whatever reason, we're going to cut my hair, his hair. We're just going to do the whole deal. We shave his head. I have a picture of him in the bath and he's just weeping. Um, and, and he gets out of the bath and we have in our bedroom, we have a mirror and he sits on the bed and he looks at the mirror and he just starts to cry uncontrollably. Okay. And he's just like, huh, and he won't look at himself and he like moves himself away from the mirror. He, he did not want to see uh, what he looked like. And, and the goal this morning is to, to, to show you for, for some of us, some things that we have been avoiding. Okay. There, there are niches within us, things that we have been avoiding, and, and the goal is, is to expose those extremes, that ultimately we would be, as James would say, doers of the word and not just hearers only, that we wouldn't be deceiving ourselves, that we would look into a mirror, not walk away and forget what we've seen, but we'd look into the perfect law of liberty, we'd continue in it, be doers of the word, that our work would be blessed. So, so that's where we're going. So if you can, let's go to um, Romans chapter 2. Talking about both extremes, there's um, no greater people that, uh, that's going to, to help us understand or, or see this better than um, the people of God historically, which, which are the Jews. Um, the Jews are a perfect uh, premise for us to build on. And if you're in Romans chapter 2, and if you don't know, we've been going through the entire book of Romans. And so let me give you a quick recap of where we are at to this point because um, we're going to really begin to hone in on some stuff. Um, very early in the book of Romans, we're told exactly what I said here, that it, it's, it's what Christ did that it's the gospel, it's the gospel alone. It's about what Jesus did. And then from that moment, he begins to unpack what we do. 
So here's what Jesus did, and now in this moment, here's what you do. And he goes off. The wrath of God is being revealed because of our unrighteousness, that we suppress the truth. He gets into details using uh, uh, pictures of homosexuality, using pictures of envy, strife, anger, murder, these things that were deep within our heart. He goes at these individual sins and says, listen, you got to understand you are broken, man. And then he really presses into us, reminding us that it's, it's the, the patience, the goodness of God that draws us to repentance in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that ultimately, man, it's, it's not your doing, that you're drawn back because God is patient with you over and over and over again. And Frank has done an awesome job throughout this series in the last two weeks specifically. I'm really honing in last week on the Gentiles. Uh, I'm going to read a section from the Gentiles because this is what it says, just talking about sin. Verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous, but, uh, are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what lo- the law requires, they are law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their consciences also bear witness, um, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when according, and this is where Frank went off, and I thought he did a great job, um, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So we, we get this premise that ultimately it's Jew, it's Gentile, it's, man, whether you, 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 you did, uh, you know, your, your vacation Bible school as a kid or you didn't, whether you grew up with a certain amount of parents or you didn't, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, we're all broken before God and we're only saved by grace. But then he does this. He now is going to hone in on the Jew. And we're going to look at them as a template, a rubric to build out of. So stay with me. Um, here's what it says in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. So here is these people. I need, need to give a background, a little Old Testament 101. Just, just track with me for a second. Here is these people who did not do anything to deserve God. God says, I chose you. I, I chose you, you're my people, I'll be your God. And from this minute, um, from that moment on, they continue to get it wrong because they try. They, they, if I can structure it this way, I have these things that if I get done, I'll be okay. And it turns into self-righteousness. Then they fall, they, they follow idols, they do all these different things. They fall here and it goes back and forth, back and forth. And through it woven is this idea of grace that ultimately it wasn't you who called yourself, it was me. And so God has given them a heritage, ultimately, that they in this moment can say, we're the people of God, not based on what, we're, what we've done. But that's not what's happened in this moment. Paul's going to go at this, the people of God, and say, let's talk about um, where you find your security. So I'm going to read this again. But if you who call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, let's stop. So we have in this moment, the Jews feel this security like a three-year-old with a blanket hiding from the, the boogeyman. Ultimately, that blanket's not going to do anything. It's a sense false of security. They believe that ultimately, uh, because they are Jewish, they're saved. So, so there's a couple things. First, their, their heritage. Um, and, and I don't think we need to labor too, too long on this point, but it's, it's not your parents, man. <laughs> if you grew up in church, it, it, it's not because of that. So, so it's not, not their heritage. And it's also not what they, they know. So he says, he uses this, this great word, rely, which I, I thought I'd try to think of a word picture for us to really understand what, what's being derived from the Greek in this moment. But the Jews have literally, pretend they're taking a ladder and they're leaning it up against a house. They are hoping that in the end, this house rely to lean on. They're, they're putting all their weight on this house, hoping that it's going to hold up. That the law, because I know I have cerebral knowledge of what the law is and what to do, I hope in the end it's enough. Um... 
this is, this is, this is perfect for us because it's not who, who we are ultimately and, it, and it's not what we know, right? So, so I, it doesn't matter, guys. It doesn't matter if you have a certain amount of Bible verses memorized. It doesn't matter um, what texts you know, what texts you can exegete. It, it doesn't matter if you know the, the church service times. It doesn't matter if you know when to raise your hands or you have all the songs memorized. It, it, it doesn't matter that you know you shouldn't do this or should do this. It, that doesn't matter. That's not what saves you. This, this knowledge that the Jews are relying on, that ultimately they're boasting in God, it's, it's a false sense of security. It doesn't matter what they know. And then he continues on in this. Verse 19. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law of an embodiment of the knowledge and truth. So in this moment, he's going to say it's not just who we are, it's not just what we know, but it's also not what we do. It doesn't matter if you, you teach. It doesn't matter if you guide the blind. It doesn't matter if you're an instructor. And listen, he's not the first person to do this. Track with me for a second, because I know this gets laborious at times, but, but in Matthew uh, chapters 5 through 7, Jesus goes at this. His first official sermon says, it, it doesn't matter if you fast. It's, it's, not, it's not what you're doing here. It doesn't matter if you, you, just, you just don't uh, ultimately look at a woman with lust there in this moment, but do you look at her with, with your heart? It, it doesn't matter how you pray here. It's your heart. It doesn't matter what you do. And in two chapters of red letters over and over and over, he just goes at what they're doing. It doesn't matter. You are not saved by what you do, man. You're just not so you've been to church every week this year. That's not good enough. Like, so, so, so you didn't sleep with her. You didn't sleep with him. It's not what you didn't do either that makes you savable. Like, it's him and him alone. And the Jews are relying. Hear me. They're relying on what they know and what they do. And so we continue. I'm going to read something from uh, the Talmud. The, it's basically the... the uh, version for rabbis. They, they have this 24 chapters of a uh, pharisaical, here's what we do. I, I want you to really hear what, what the, the Jews had to do to ultimately find themselves in right standing before God. Um, this is what it says. It says, um, there are 24 chapters um, of Sabbath law in this book. One rabbi said that he spent two and a half years studying one chapter to figure out all the details. Hear me. Things like you could not lift something up and put it down, but only from certain place to certain place. No burden could be carried that weighed more than a dried fig. If you put an olive in your mouth and rejected it because it was bad, you couldn't put another olive in your mouth the next time because the palate had tasted a whole olive. If you threw an object in the air and caught it with the other hand, it was a sin. If you caught it with the same hand, it wasn't a sin. If a person was in one place and he reached out with his arm for food and the Sabbath overtook him, he would have to drop the food and not return his arm or he would be carrying a burden and that would be sin. Chairs couldn't be moved because they might make a rut. Women couldn't look in the glass or else they'd be tempted to pull out white hairs. Women couldn't wear jewelry because most of the time it weighed more than a dried fig. A radish couldn't be left in salt or else it would pickle. So there are these absurd amount of details. If I do this, if I do this, if I can get this right, and ultimately it's like, man, here's this checklist, and, and hear me. Some of us are walking in this, and maybe not absurd details like this, but we are walking in this checklist mentality of Christianity that if I get these things right, this deistic God will be cool, right, God? Like me and JC are cool as long as I get these things done. 
as long as I can go at this the right way, I'm okay. Right, God? Like, I went to church. I mean, last night we, we didn't do that. Last night we did this. I, I prayed. I, I did my Bible reading. I, and it becomes this mechanical, um, uh, overlording mentality. And, and ultimately, here's the problem. Not only does that not save, it does not create intimacy. No one is looking at a, a set of rules and saying, oh, yeah, I love that. I just, I just love doing what I don't like doing. No, that doesn't create a sense of intimacy. And this is what, what God's trying to get at. Matter of fact, in um, uh, Jeremiah, um, which I, I think is a, a phenomenal text. Actually, l- let's come back to Jeremiah. Let, let me read something else from you. Um, Tim Chester in his book, You Can Change. I'm going to read this for you. Legalism is, is appealing for two reasons. First, it makes holiness manageable. Second, it makes holiness an achievement on our part. So his, uh, his point is, in this moment is, is saying, if we can manage what we do that makes us right before God, then, then we're okay. And, and think about this. We're, we're doing this, man. We're, we're walking in this. Some, some of you guys think if you can just get your 10 minutes of Bible reading, and, and hear me, because I've been there, when you don't do it, you feel like you've let God down. Oh, I'm such an idiot. Like, I just can't get this right, man. And, and when, I, when I don't get it and I don't do it, I feel like I've, and like God's looked down and be like, did you see that? Gabriel, come here. Did, he was supposed to read his Bible. He did not read. No, no that doesn't happen. You're not surprising him by your unrighteousness. And, and the irony is, the tragic irony is, we act so much like the Jews in that we find ourselves because we, we follow the, the law in self-righteousness, that it, it's, it's actually our self-righteousness, it's actually doing these things, hear me, that are pushing you away from God. So, so you think by doing these things, they're drawing you close to God because ultimately it's where your salvation's found and it's ultimately what's pushing you away from God. Um, I'm, I'm going to read something for you. Um, the District uh, Department of Transportation, which I thought was a great point, um, said this. It's just a one-liner. More people are hit by a car when they are walking in the crosswalk than outside of it. That was just a one-line thing that they, they had put, and they put some t- statistics behind it. But I, I want to share why that, I think this is really funny. Because in this moment, we see a crosswalk. We see these, these white lines. We see the little white guy, the white man, you know, bleeping up on the screen, and we think we're safe, right? And so we walk through this crosswalk, and, and more accidents, more people get hit by cars in this crosswalk because they think they're secure. They have this false sense of security. Um, they think they're secure because they see this little white man telling them what they should do. Now, this tells us a couple things. Number one, we shouldn't trust the white man. But number two... Um, <laughs> Number two, um, uh, ultimately, just because we follow the rules and we do everything right doesn't make us safe. You think, why am I harping on this? Why am I harping on this? Because uh, Martin Luther would say that, that um, legalism, like, like this, doing this, is, is a default of our heart. You guys, our hearts naturally go to this. Hear me. Like, we have to be reminded of the gospel, and that's why I'm laboring this point over and over, that just because we follow the rules, it doesn't just make us right before God. You're never going to get this thing right. Okay? Hear me. Um, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, by your nature, you're a child of wrath. You're just not going to get it right. That day is not coming. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that your heart is naturally wicked. No matter what Hollywood has told you, it's wicked. So, so in this moment, you're just not going to get it right, and it's through grace alone. That's it, man. That you're, you're walking by faith, trusting that Jesus Christ will save your soul. So, so here's this thing. We set up the paradigm, right? The first thing is that we need Jesus Christ. We can only be saved by Jesus Christ. Once we realize this, here's the flip side. Grace is necessary, but in the end, works are inevitable. So let's continue on in our text, Romans chapter 2. 
Uh, verse 20, I, I didn't read, um, I, I read through them, but I'm going to read through it again, just picking up in verse 20. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the children, having in the law of an embodiment the knowledge of truth. And when you teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. So let's go back to the Jews. Not only did they find their security in what they did, who they were, they didn't even do what they should have been doing as the people who they were. Like, you tracking with me? I know I was a little confused. So in this moment, they find all their security in what they're doing. The problem is they're not even doing it. They're not even doing it. That Jeremiah um, uh, quote uh, in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 9. I want to read this for you. Um, this is straight out of Jeremiah. Will you steal and murder? He's talking to the Jews and commit adultery and swear falsely and offer sacrifices to Baal and walk after other gods that you have not known. And just keep in mind, that's like half the Ten Commandments right there. Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered, that you may do all these abominations. <laughs> so you think it's okay. So... Uh, I want to I stop real quick and, and say this. For some of us, here's what our heart's going to do. And I've been, too, unfortunately, I've been in ministry too long to, to know this is true. Because I, I tend to be a little more ambitious and, and, and um, this, um, okay, you're, you're going to hear that I'm just, I'm just going at you and I don't like feeling like I'm guilty. And this is, man, this is our MO. And, and I, I want to just throw a disclaimer on this. Please hear past me. Please hear and know that in this moment, as many things as I may get wrong, that for some of you, I know that the Holy Spirit has been trying to get at you. He's been getting at you, trying to tell you, why are you not doing anything? And I know that sounds legalistic and opposite of what we're saying, but if you hold Jesus tightly, if if you know who he is and love him deeply, you should be looking at the cross and something should be happening in the same passage in Matthew 7 that we're told ultimately that people will stand before God and, and say, listen, I don't know you, go. That same passage, we're told that we can know a tree by its fruit. So we don't look at lemon trees and say, look at that apple tree. No one does that because the tree, the kind of tree that it is, grows that type of fruit. And in this moment, if you are a Christian, then things happen. And, and Jeremiah, it, uh, God, through the, power, through the power of his Holy Spirit, through Jeremiah in this moment says, you think it's okay? You think it's okay to continue sleeping with her? You think it's okay to, to, to continue to, to sin and do this and do these things that I've told you not to do over and over and show up here on Sunday mornings and act like it's okay and feel no remorse for your sin? You think that's Okay. It's not okay. When you begin to fondle the things of God that he died for, it's not okay. And this is Jeremiah pleading with the Jews. It's not okay. I know you were saved by grace alone, and now that you trust me, you can't just do what you want. If your life is hidden in Christ, then shouldn't we continue to be conformed to his image? It's not okay. It's not okay. Hear what you will in that. I'm going to read something from MacArthur who talks about this. And whether you like MacArthur or not, I think it's a great comment on this text. Note that Paul's using a series of questions to design to contrast the practice of most of the Jews. 
that they were taught. For example, despite of uh, the clear pronouncement of the Mosaic law that they shall not steal, it was very common in ancient Judaism for the Jews uh, to steal. Isaiah actually rebuked them in Isaiah 56, 11, saying, turn from your own way, each one, from his unjust gain. According to Jewish historian Josephus, hear this, some Jews also robbed the temple in other uh, devious ways. He reports that on one occasion, a group of Jewish men enticed a wealthy Roman woman into giving a large sum of money to a temple. But instead of putting that money into the temple, they divided it amongst themselves. So, so, so you have this appearance. This is dangerous, man. You have this appearance of godliness. You've got it together. You, you have it here. I've, I've got this shell and, I, and I'm doing these things. But in the end, it's rubbish, man. It's ungodliness. And he's going to go at the Jews here and say, you want to talk about living a good life? Are you living a good life? And, and can I just say this real quick? I mean, the, the next verse, the, the obvious implication, implications of this, is it's, it's clear, right? I mean, what happens? So we see in verse 24, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Like, it's, it's clear what's going to happen. This is why people in this moment look at the church and say, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. And, and, and maybe that's you in this room right now. Like, like I don't like being here because this place is full of hypocrites. Let, let me be straight with you. Yes. Yes, it is. And that's why you should feel unbelievably welcome right now. Like, like in this moment, we, and, and unfortunately Christians, like we, we, we kind of flaunt our swag that we have it all together and we're told in 1 John that if we say we have not sinned, we have no sin, we call God a liar. So instead of uh, rocking this pompous idea of I've got my life together, I'm a good person, rather than, man, I, I'm messed up and I'm saved by grace alone. I'm saved by grace alone, but this is not what the Jews are doing. They're saying, you fix this, fix this, do this, get this together, and they didn't do any of it. That's hypocrisy. But in this moment, we're saying, I can't get it together. I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for process. I'm walking out sanctification. I'm trying to figure this thing out, and I'm only saved by grace. And, and that, that's a huge, huge difference for us. Um, we did read another thing from, you, from Matthew, and I know we keep reading some of these things, but Matthew... Uh, Chapter 23, verses 1, 1 through 4 says, Then Jesus said to the crowds of the disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe, observe whatever they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So theologically, what, what's happening here is they have ortho, uh, or, or uh, orthodoxy down, but they don't have orthopraxy, which is a fancy way of saying they have the right belief down, but, but they're not living it out. They're, they're not walking it out. So, so that's our text, right? Like, like what, what do we do with this paradigm? I mean, what do we do in this moment that we're told that we're saved by grace, that it's not based on what we do, but once we have Jesus Christ, hear me, you should be doing things. This should be happening. And, and the only answer, you've got to hear this, the only answer to this is motive. It's the only answer. The why is key here. So, so let me make it maybe easy for us to understand. In, 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 uh, in the book of um, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, we're told in chapters 8 and 9 that we should be giving people because of grace. We're actually told that we should give away our money. We should be giving. Those boxes in the back, we should be giving because of grace. Not because of a fear man, not because if you, you tithe your 10%, you're okay. Like, 
The dude owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Your 10% is nothing. Okay? So in this moment, we're told we should give because of grace. Ephesians chapters 4 and 5, we're ultimately told to live out. And in 5, we're told to be good husbands and good wives, good spouses, because Christ first loved us. He was good to us. Now, this is over and over, woven through the New Testament, a reactive faith. Because what Christ has done, you should do. Because who Christ is, is, Christ who he is, this is who you should be. Over and over and over, we're told to be reactive. We're told to see the beauty of the cross and know that's what draws me unto repentance. Not, not self-made legalism, not asceticism, not, not I'm going to do these things because I have to, because you're not made out to be this good person because I go to church on Sunday mornings. These are not the things, but woven through is I'm reactive to the cross, I see the beauty of the cross, and I want to do. So what's this look like for us? There's, there's a couple texts, and I want to read them because I think they're important. Here's some, some things. Um, in 1 Peter 2.11, we're told to go to war, go to war against sin because it wages war against our soul. Go to war, imagery for us. Um, Paul talks about training ourselves in righteousness, training ourselves in righteousness, 1 Timothy 4, 7. At one point, we're told to labor in prayer. Word up, anybody? Like, you ever been like, all right, God, I'm going to spend 10. Okay, I know what that's like, laboring in prayer. Like, whoever painted this picture that, that laboring was going to be good and easy, uh, or, or praying was going to be good and easy, it's not, FYI. Like, for some reason, for whatever reason, the moment you open your Bible, you, you, like, rack in your brain, like, 10 million things that need to get done. Like, yeah, I need to clean the garage. Okay, I'm going to go clean the garage. Why does that happen every time? It's this laboring. It's, it's this, I'm going to walk this thing out. I'm going to fight what my flesh naturally wants to do. And some of us have been caught. <laughs> a couple of weeks I spoke at Imago Day, and, and uh, I, I shared with them, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this show called The Office. It's this crazy show. Um, but anyway, uh, in the show, The Office, there's this guy named Michael Scott who's just oblivious to life. Um, and he's kind of the, the runner of the show. And there's this baby dedication for this couple named uh, Pam and Jim. And they're there uh, dedicating the baby at this church. And what happens is uh, there's this youth group who's going to be going to Mexico um, in this moment. They're going to be going to Mexico uh, for some kind of mission trip for the whole summer. Well, everyone's clapping and applauding this, this uh, uh, youth group who's getting on the bus to go to uh, Mexico. And um, uh, Michael Scott is looking at the people like, yeah, yeah. And he just decides to get on board on the bus, right? Okay. And so he gets on this bus and they're about 20 minutes into the ride and he just freaking loses it. Okay. Like he just is like him and Andy are like, get me off the bus because now everything's really setting in. And and the reason this is crazy, because some of us have have bought into Christianity, but in the end, man, we're, we're talking about wearing the cross on our back, not just around our neck. Like we're talking about being, being real, life-giving uh, disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's hard. And some of us have bought into an emotionalism that I raised my hand at one moment and came up to the front and said a prayer that I'm okay. No, th- this, is, this is a life-giving process. And hear me, it's not easy. There's no magical potion to this. I, I've had the opportunity to do a lot of summer camps. John Green, my buddy John Green, um, has, has been a part of uh, doing a lot of them with me. And, and we were at a camp about two years ago. And uh, there was a guy who had kind of been vocal about his struggles with lust and pornography and um, some other sins. And um, the last night of that camp, um, you know, we're calling everyone up to, to pray. And uh, John, my buddy John Green, he's, he's standing there up, up front. And a guy comes up to him, that guy who's been kind of more vocal, comes up to him. And he says, hey, man, can you pray for me? Yeah, sure, what can I pray for you? I just, can you pray for me to have superpowers? Uh, excuse me? 
Yeah, yeah, just like if I could be able to like fly or like have Wolverine claws. Like I'll use them for good, but, but could you just pray for me? Lord, okay, what are you doing? Like what's crazy is it happens. So you go to John for prayer. No, um, <laughs> no, no. In, in this moment, this, this, this guy's looking for this legitimate mutant superpower to get him through the, the laborious um, dirt road that is Christianity sometimes. And there's no magic potion to it, man. Like, we would walk this thing out continually, that, that it's not easy, that though we are um, driven by grace, at times it's unbelievably difficult. My wife, who just had our third child, a baby girl, um, she's almost four months at this time, and um, her name is Eve, um, and, and Candace, you know, over and over, I just see this, this perfect template of what this should look like for us, because Candace, there's many times where we'll go out or we'll go do something, and she can't wear what she wants to wear because she has to breastfeed. Or she can't do these things because Eve will grab jewelry and rip it out of her ear. There's these things where Candace is confined to what she can do because of this baby girl. And it's not just that. There's classes that she wishes she can take during the day. Like she can go to a campus and take these classes. But our two boys are, and, and, and our, our baby girl, like they, they consume her life. Like so, so, I mean, and it happens to me on some level, but not. I mean, for her, this is her job during the day. So I'll go to work and she would love to go do these things. But she's confined to, to being a mom. And not one day will you ever show up at the Myers household and walk in and have a conversation with Candace and her just say, I know I hate this life. I just hate them. I wish I could do all these things. Not one moment will she ever say this. Why? Because the joy of these kids, it doesn't matter. She's confined and she, she has less freedom in this moment, but it doesn't matter because the joy is unbelievable. And, and this is the cross that at times it's, it's terrible. It's hard Like, picking up our cross is not an easy thing to do. But the joy of Christ, even though at times it's only a still, small voice, thrusts us in that direction. I mean, it's it's poetry in motion for us. And it's not easy. But though we are found to be and understand that, that grace is necessary, we know and trust, once we know Jesus Christ, that works are inevitable. You will do. If you're not doing, then you do not have grace. And I don't mean that to be like a uh, scandalous statement. Hear me. Hear me. If there is no fruit, it's not that kind of tree. You got to know this. You got to understand this. So so, so both paradigms are, are equally wrong. You're not saved by your works, and ultimately you should have works. I'll close with this. Going through the book of Romans, um, We're going to eventually hit um, Romans chapter 12, um, verse 1. Um, And we're told in in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, to um, give our life, our our bodies, as a a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual act of of worship. And the reason this is crazy is because we are told to give our physical bodies for a spiritual end. Okay? That we would give ourselves to a spiritual act of worship before God. And, And here's where I really need you to catch this. The, the, the difference and why Jesus is better, why he's better than just doing things, doing the law, just reading for the sake of reading, just not uh, watching rated R movies, not, not listening to second music, not, not drinking beer, not all these things that we find our righteousness in. That he, the reason he is better is because in this moment, he doesn't just look at you and say, go, offer your body as a living sacrifice, go, and it will be a spiritual act of worship. It's not the God that I'm trying to tell you about this morning.
Rather, he says, come. Come. I've given my physical body for a spiritual sacrifice. Follow me. Follow me. And that's all we've got in our corner, man. Like Hebrews chapter 12, we're told over, like, that since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that we lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and, and we would look unto Jesus. That though it's hard, Jesus, you get it, right? Like my mom, she, she's dying, but, but you get it, right? Like th- this is hard to do in this moment. I so desperately want to date him. I want a husband, I want a wife, but, but, but you, you get my pain. You get what it's like to lose someone. You get what it's like to feel lonely. You get what it's like to be betrayed. You get it, right? You're a faithful high priest. Yes, come. He doesn't point you into an abstract direction. He says, come, that you would be saved by grace and there would be a fruit of that salvation that we'd fall in line with this in love, driven by grace. Let me pray for us. Father, we are uh, thankful for who you are. We are grateful that um, it's not us. (laughs) Like, I'm just never going to be a good enough dad. I just, I snap too often and... Um, I yell at the wrong times. I'm selfish. I'm just not going to be a good enough husband. I, I, I care about what, what I want to do too often. It's about me too much. I'm just not going to be able to do this. I'm not a good enough employee. I'm not a good enough brother. God, I just I can't get these things right. But you tell me in, in 1 John 1, 9 that if I would confess my sins and my unrighteousness, that you are unbelievably faithful and just to forgive those sins. So we are grateful that it's not our works that saves us, but it's your grace and it's necessary. And at the same time, God, I pray that that would do something in my heart, that would do something in our heart to labor, to work, to discipline that we would realize that discipline is a fruit of the Spirit. God, that we would find our identity in the cross and that would do something within us to be something, to walk out something, to, to be disciplined, to have fruit, to do work. God, I, I pray that you would stir this in our heart. We thank you, Jesus, that you are a faithful high priest, that you've called us to come after you and not just go in a direction. So that's what we do. We keep our eyes on you. And at times, we, we, we falter and we, we remove them. But I pray, Holy Spirit, you would remind us of the things that Jesus spoke as you tell us in John 14, 26, God, that we'd remember these things, that we'd keep our, our eyes set on you, we would remember you, and that's what would be the crux of our self-discipline. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We want you. In Jesus' name, amen.